This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmond.edu. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. This episode is part of a long series about the rise of Christian fundamentalism up through the Scopes Monkey Trial. It can stand on its own, but when you're done, go back and start at the beginning of Season 5. Now that I've finished the main body of the season, I'm working hard on Season 6 and want to emphasize some important themes with some mini-episodes. This is takeaway number two, Extremes Lead to Extremes. Sometimes, deep in the winter, I hike up the ski resort here in town. Just hiked up this mountain. I'm going to ski down here, God willing, in a moment. I was just praying, looking down at the town, which looks like a little Christmas village. A thick layer of clouds hung over the valley, which takes light pollution from street lamps and the broom ball rink and reflects it back down on the town. Even though I was hiking up the mountain at 8 o'clock, I could still see the footprints other hikers made and find my footing. I paused partway up trying to think of a way to convey a big idea to you for this bonus. How do I emphasize that extremes lead to extremes? Then, as if out of nowhere, it came to me. And I've been reading this fascinating book by Adam Zamosky, The Rights of Peace, about the Congress of Vienna, which is a topic I never thought I'd be interested in. The Congress of Vienna. Okay, so it's no secret that I love researching Napoleon, I take exhaustive notes on history books for this show about fundamentalism, wars, economics, and to relax, I read about Napoleon Bonaparte. Since the main body of the season is over, I want to share one small story about this era, because I think it fits with the modernist fundamentalist debate. And I can save one episode per season for Napoleon, right? Okay, so pop quiz. Why did European rulers band together to fight Napoleon Bonaparte? On and off, these guys, and they were basically all guys, pretty much all of them, had some kind of treaty with Napoleon. Many of them had fought wars on his side. Russia, Austria, parts of what would become Italy and Spain. Then, together, they turned against him. In 1814, Napoleon was defeated. The first time. One of the reasons they built an alliance against him is because he claimed a ton of land. Their land. From Egypt to Russia, Palestine to Prussia, Napoleon's armies were there, taking resources, changing the laws, slowly incorporating them into his empire, setting up his brothers and sisters and friends as kings and queens of his new territory, literally deciding who reigns where. So when he's defeated in 1814, the Allies march into Paris and take over. They exile Napoleon to the small island of Elba just off the west coast of Italy, and I have a flag for Elba hanging on the wall behind me as I record this. At this point, the Allies hope that this will be the last they hear of Boney, as the British called him. So it's 1814, and Europe is a total mess. Armies everywhere, destruction. The whole continent, like the borders and everything, are way different. Even the Pope is mad because a lot of the papal states in Italy are no longer his. 
So the Allies assemble a bunch of times in small towns and in London, and then in the fall of 1814, they end up in Vienna to decide how in the world they're going to sort all of this out. This is where it gets kind of complicated, because every landowner with a gripe or dispossessed king looking for restoration descends on Vienna and sets up shop. So the group has this Herculean task. Now that Europe has been in some state of high alert or all-out war for decades and everything's mixed up, how are they going to put it back together? Countries aren't where they once were. Napoleon ended nobility in places, stripped the Catholic Church of a lot of its land. How are they going to shuffle all the pieces back together? For starters, Austria wants to recapture its lands in northern Italy. Prussia hopes to expand. The Swiss want to stretch out a little. Notably, Russia demands that they take the loose confederation to its western border and turn it into the nation of Poland, only under Russian rule. Everyone wants a piece of the action. There are dances and balls, soldiers on parades, sleigh rides. All the while, backroom deals are happening. Secret alliances, especially as Russia becomes a bigger and bigger threat. It's a Humpty Dumpty scenario. They can't put Europe back together like it was. The same piece of land may have changed hands multiple times in just a decade or two. No matter what they do, someone is going to get hurt. And there are plenty of sticky fingers. Okay, so remember, why did the Allies hate Napoleon? He conquered lands, imposed his will, changed cultures, put his own people in charge. Historian Adam Zamoyski, who wrote the book The Rights of Peace about this event, pointed out the obvious. The Allies had, essentially, become exactly what they'd worked so hard to fight. Their mandate was to bring peace and order. What happened is that everyone got greedy. They were literally threatening wars in these meetings in order to gobble up as much land and as many souls as they could. Stuff that had belonged to them, and places that never belonged to them, but could compensate them for some grievance that they felt. Now, who does that sound like? Napoleon. They became what they hated. We're doing exactly what they fought so hard to stop. They divided up the continent for their own benefit and threatened to do so by force. When I consider the modernist fundamentalist debate I've covered this season, all I can think about is extremes. When the modernists did away with doctrines, the fundamentalists doubled down, sometimes creating new doctrines. Harry Emerson Fosdick wrote in the Times, so William Jennings Bryan responded in the Times. Modernism took over colleges, so fundamentalists founded their own. If a modernist wrote a book, a fundamentalist wrote another in response. One of the things we should take away from the season is that extremes lead to extremes. In our times, when media outlets demand that we get outraged, we accuse the other side of wickedness while overlooking our own sins. I think we're a lot like the Congress of Vienna. We're upset at Napoleon for gaining ground, but completely not empathetic towards people we're running over to do our thing. We think if only the other side wasn't around, if we could just ship them all off to an island, then our problems would go away. I've said it a bunch of times this season, but it bears repeating. We are, at all times, to respond in righteousness. While it's flawed, I think that there's a great benefit to the book In His Steps, which I read in full and posted here on the podcast feed. Now, I know it cost me some listeners, but I think as a people, we needed to hear it. 
Are we so busy in our politics, our anger, our rage, that we forget that we're supposed to act like Jesus did? Have we ever really sacrificed for him? Could we honestly love someone, pray for someone we strongly dislike? Members of the Congress of Vienna felt justified in their greed. Of course, Austria wanted to take a piece of Polish land. Otherwise, the Russians would be too close to their border. Prussia hoped to stretch out a bit because so many of its people were killed in the Napoleonic Wars. They thought they had to make up for it. They truly didn't care what their new subjects would think, which country they wanted to belong to. In the same way, we feel justified in our actions. They talk trash about my political candidate, so I'll rip theirs apart. They took away from the Bible, so I'm going to add to it by creating theories where the Bible's silent. And you know what? Has that extremism made us better? No, it just pushes us further apart. As Christ followers, we aren't supposed to respond in kind. When someone slaps us, we're supposed to turn the other cheek. To boil it down, Christians are to do the right thing, the right way, at the right time, for the right reasons. And that's not always easy to do. Sometimes it feels like there will be collateral damage no matter what we decide. But if we're going to oppose extremism, it can't be with extremism. It has to be with righteousness. Again, Christians are to do the right thing, the right way, at the right time, for the right reasons. Lest, in order to stop the Napoleons in our society, we become Napoleons ourselves. God is a genius storyteller. And the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Special thanks to my brother Nick for helping me talk through all these episodes. If for some distant crazy reason you're like me and you want to learn more about the Congress of Vienna, I recommend The Rights of Peace by Adam Zamosky. Although if you're looking for an introduction to Napoleonic history, I recommend Napoleon, A Life by Andrew Roberts. Patrons of the show who give a little bit each month via Patreon can listen to a fun discussion of my fascination with Napoleon along with some of the reasons I like to study him. Now, did you know that he escaped from his island exile on Elba and rode across France to take the throne a second time? It's a crazy story. Give a little bit each month at patreon.com slash trucepodcast and you'll have access to it. Truce is listener supported and you can help out via Venmo, PayPal, Patreon, check, credit card, so many ways. Visit trucepodcast.com slash donate to help. As I said, I'm hard at work on season six. This is not a normal episode of Truce. For the next few weeks, I'm going to be releasing these mini-episodes to keep the feed fresh. Subscribe so you get every new episode 
as it's released. Truce is a production of Truce Media, LLC. I'm Chris Starin, and this is Truce. Okay, so it's uh, 8.17 at night. I'm just uh, another few hundred feet up, but I want to get some sounds of sound of skiing. I got some fresh quarter ice, which is my favorite. I know people not groomers, but listen to this. This is awesome. And that's how you ski the groomers. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.